Hi, everybody. Welcome to another PR Masters podcast series brought to you by the Stevens Group. In case you don't already know who the Stevens Group is, we're one of the leading mergers and acquisitions firms in the PR and digital interactive space. And I am Art Stevens, managing partner of the Stevens Group, and your host for today. The PR Masters podcast series features luminaries and legends in the world of public relations. Our guest today is Barbara Bates, who is the global CEO of Hotwire, the global communications agency. Barbara started her career as an on-air journalist and then transitioned into the Benjamin Group, a leader in tech communications at the time. Soon after, Barbara joined forces with her two best friends, who had been working with Regis McKenna to create Eastwick, the first independent, fully tech-focused agency in Silicon Valley. Barbara has guided clients to new levels of visibility and success. And under her leadership, clients have included Facebook, BMC, Seagate, Dell Software, HP, Adobe, and Fujitsu, to name just a few. And after 25 years of building her own agency, Eastwick, into one of the most preeminent technology-focused communications firms in the country, Barbara's agency was acquired by Hotwire in late September 2016. She served just eight months as the CEO of North America before being appointed to the role of global CEO, responsible for driving the strategic direction of the business for all Hotwire offices around the world. She now leads a staff of nearly 300 people globally in 12 offices and 16 countries. And furthermore, Barbara has shifted Hotwire from a largely traditional PR firm to an established integrated communications agency to meet the new demands of today's C-suite, including enhanced digital and social media capabilities, content and advocacy marketing, as well as visual storytelling, web services, and analytics. Now, Barbara is a redhead with a big personality, (laughs) big ideas, and a penchant for pushing the envelope with clients and staff. She's been innovating the art and science of strategic communications with marketing since leaving a journalism career as a television reporter, and she's added social media, content strategy, analytics, measurement, and visual storytelling to the Hotwire suite of public relations services. Now, before Barbara has a chance to say anything, uh, I should also point out that she has she and the agency have received many, many awards and accolades, including such awards as PR Week, U.S. Best Places to Work, Cranes, New York, Best Places to Work, PR News, Best Places to Work, and the Holmes Report, citing her agency as the best tech agency, and the Holmes Report also citing her agency as Digital Consultancy of the Year, Bulldog Reporter as Technology Agency of the Year, and on and on, and including the fact that Barbara has been cited as one of the top women in PR by any number of sources. So it is my pleasure today to welcome Barbara Bates, who is the CEO of Hotwire, to the PR Masters podcast series. Good morning, Barbara. How are you? Good morning, Art. Great to talk to you. Thanks for Are such you a ready for my penetrating questions? <laughs> yes, I think so. <laughs> well, Barbara, the first thing I'd like to ask you, you know, is that your your agency, Hotwire, 
Global Communications, headquartered in San Francisco, has had extraordinary growth. How did you do it, Barbara? You know, I think it's interesting. Uh, first of all, I think the reason why I was put in the global CEO role is sort of my uh, history and sort of pension for, for growth. And uh, it's interesting, when I started my own agency, we, we, we never had a philosophy of growth for growth's sake. It was really more about making sure we had the right talent and services to service the demanding tech clients that we, we worked with. But I think being part of Silicon Valley, you know, I've been raised here. This is where I built my business, um, entrepreneur for many years here. Growth is a key part of the mindset here. And um, I think that expectation um, and sort of the pace of doing business here uh, actually has, was good training for me and background for running a growth-oriented organization. Um, I think I mentioned expectations are high. I think the fact that we stuck to what we were good at, our tech specialty, and we still do to this day, um, means that we have a clear niche in the marketplace. Um, I think the other thing I would say that we're known for, and you uh, kindly mentioned some of the awards that we've gotten uh, as the best place to work, um, when your people are your product, um, being a people-first organization is a smart business move, not just a really nice thing to say. And I think from our very early days, and in fact, the, one of the reasons why Hotwire and Eastwood got together is a shared value around that. Um, and I, I tie it specifically to growth because if you cannot hire good people in this business, you can't grow. And it's a very competitive market, as you know. Um, and so standing out and really doing interesting things to keep and attract talented people is really a, a key strategic initiative for us. So, so do people uh, pound on your door uh, because they know that Hotwire is a continuing growth agency and they just want to be a part of it? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, you know, a lot of people ask about uh, best places to work, and, and um, you know, a lot of it is focusing on the benefits and kind of the unique catchy programs that you do. And we do all of that. We have some really interesting programs and I'll, I'm happy to talk you through a couple of them. But at the end of the day, people want to have challenging work that gives them opportunities to do things they've never done before and to be in a place where there's almost an attitude of the spoke career paths being developed you know, more and more people don't want to be put in a box. They want to, you know, excel as as fast as they'd like to or make lattice moves um, to learn different skill sets. And so I think at the end of the day, really being a good, you know, one of the best places to work is beyond all the, the cool benefits and programs. It's really about can you attract really interesting clients and give your staff really interesting work. So, Barbara, you were, you were CEO of North America, I guess, as, as part of the structure of the uh, transition that was made, you know, when your firm yeah. was acquired. Mm -hmm. uh, how did you get to CEO Global that quickly? Gosh, um, you know, opportunity. And I think at that point, Anero was looking, Anero and its investors, because, you know, my parent company is traded, is publicly traded on the Australian Stock Exchange. 
Um, and they were, you know, seeing Hotwire is a really solid, successful business. And I think um, they saw the opportunity with the expanding market and the, the focus on tech. I mean, you've heard this a million times. Every company wants to be a tech company. So even though we're tech specialists, we work with all different types of companies who want to either leverage technology or innovation to build their their brand value. And so I think um, just my experience and sort of my track record for uh, keeping, you know, growing agencies, uh, being a bit of a change agent in a market that's moving pretty quickly. You know, as you know, our things have changed dramatically and what people consider PR and how to stay competitive and deliver what clients are looking for. And um, I've always sort of had, you know, a bent towards um, challenging the status quo and trying new things. And I think that was the appetite that Enero had for, for leadership for the organization. It was actually a very, very big move because Hotwire was actually founded out of London and had always had a British CEO. Um, and so to have a U.S. based CEO was a real, you know, turning point for the company, but a very tricky point because, you know, we still have very strong, proud um, British heritage and very strong, um, you know, European coverage. And so that was both a, an opportunity and a challenge for me. Uh, and it's been fantastic. I've just had a ball. I, I literally just celebrated my 29th anniversary in this oh, business wow. this week. I know um, wow. I started, you know, when I was 10. So, uh, <laughs> and, you know, I think the p- thing that people always comment to me is how I, I still really look and act like I love my job and it's uh, it's a huge gift, but it's, the, you know, it's the truth. I love what I'm doing. And it's probably because it changes all the time. There's, you know, new challenges and are, you know, lots of, lots of change happening. So it keeps me interested. Barbara, you know, you started out as an on-air journalist. Well, what did you cover when you were a, a, a journalist? Yeah, I, uh, so my very first job was for one of the stations here in San Francisco. So I went to college here in the Bay Area. And uh, Channel 2 was a really popular station here. And I worked as a production assistant while I was still in school and just – I was lucky enough to have some amazing mentors that helped me put together the, the, a really just a, a kick-ass demo tape for someone my young, you know, as young as I was. And um, so I landed my first job at an NBC affiliate in the Midwest, and I anchored for the noon broadcast, and I reported for the uh, 6 and 11 o'clock news. And... Um, I did covered everything. I was basically a general reporter. And when you're in these small little towns in the Midwest starting out, I literally, my first on-air broadcast was uh, reporting the sports for um, for a, a vacationing sports anchor at the time. <laughs> and uh, But I will tell you, I got my first marketing job in tech in Silicon Valley because of the skills that I learned as a television reporter. Um, and, you know, be able to quickly put together a complex story and communicate it in a compelling way um, quite quickly was always, uh, you know, a skill that I was able to transfer into my, you know, into my PR work and comms work. But what made you transition into PR from journalism? Why didn't you, why did you not 
continue to pursue a career in journalism? Uh, I will have to say love. So um, <laughs> I fell in love with a law enforcement, uh, somebody who was in law enforcement, married him. And, uh, you know, when you're in the broadcast uh, career, you change jobs every year and a half, probably yeah. year, year and a half to move to the next bigger market. And the worst thing you can do when you're in law enforcement is change jobs because it's all about tenure. So um, I decided I wanted to move back to the Bay Area. And um, it was at a time where we were actually in the midst of a recession. So it was not going to be easy to get my first marketing job. But again, I think the skills that I, I learned as a reporter really helped me um, land that first that first marketing job. And once I was in there and got to work with executives. It was a startup world for me early on, and then I moved to working with bigger companies. But I kind of got that entrepreneurial bug uh, early on, and it just stuck. Well, obviously, it, it appears you know that uh, in addition to the criteria you mentioned about your switching from journalism to public relations, it also appears that you love public relations. Is that so? Yeah, I do. I do love the, I, you know, I'm one of these people that feel like language is really powerful and that no matter what profession you're in or what the challenge is, communications is key to things going very well or not going well at all. And I've just seen the power of communications for, you know, almost three decades now. And um, I'm, I'm definitely a believer in, in it as a sort of, you know, strategic uh, tool for for companies, organizations, individuals um, to sort of move things forward. Well, you know, you made a, a transition also, aside from journalism to uh, public relations. You made the transition from doing public relations work to becoming an entrepreneur, you know, and a uh, business manager and a CEO, you know, of a business. Uh, was yeah. that hard for you, you know, to go from that? to like learning the ins and outs of running a business? You know what? Um, I do think it's kind of a challenge for most of us that consider ourselves practitioners of the craft. Uh, but I, I think there's two things that I would attribute my success to. And one is just a continual learning mindset. I'm just naturally curious and I love to learn new things still to this day. Um, but the other thing I would have to say is I uh, had some great mentors early in my career. And one of them was Sherry Benjamin, who um, ran the Benjamin Group and recruited me, by the way, when I was eight months pregnant, um, <laughs> to come be one of her first employees. So it just goes wow. to show you um, how brave we both were. <laughs> but um, it, that was my first agency job. And um Sherry went on to become a Vistage chair, and Vistage is a global organization that's really kind of a professional development organization for CEOs. And I was part of a group for almost 15 years. We would meet religiously and um, just, you know, lots of great guest speakers, just really talked a lot about um, how to build successful businesses, learning everything on how to hire and retain talent to, you know, mastering a P&L and everything in between. And that was almost like my own little MBA in becoming a, a business person. And um, I don't think I would have been as successful um, running a, a business if I hadn't had that sort of invested in my own professional development. 
You know, I, that was actually going to be my next question before you mentioned, you know, who one of your mentors was. I was going to ask you, you know, who were some of the most important people in your life who helped you uh, achieve the career you did? Was there anybody else? Yeah, you know what? Um, this sounds a little cliche, but both my mom and dad were huge, huge inspiration for me for two different reasons. So my dad was a Silicon Valley engineer, so I was mm-hmm. one of those you know, I grew up with half my street being an orchard, um, the, all the early semiconductor founders. You know, my dad worked on space programs. So my fourth grade project was on the lunar surface magnetometer because that was a project that my dad ran. And um, so I, when you see the old films of Silicon Valley or you see, um, you know, movies that depict, that was my childhood. And um so just being, you know, having sort of an interest in technology and seeing, um, you know, how things changed and, and the power of technology was definitely part of my my early days and has stuck with me. Um, and then the other one is my mom because, you know, my mom didn't go to college. She was a stay-at-home mom. And um, I would have to say she was the one that always challenged me the most and Basically, you know, I grew up with a mom telling me I could do anything I put my mind to, and uh, I think that just built a lot of self-esteem and confidence that's that's um, served me well over the years. So I would definitely say my mom and dad were key influences for me. Well, clearly you have evolved from having mentors to your now being a mentor to, uh, I guess, a number of people who work for your organization as, as well as probably some of your clients. Do you see yourself in that role as a mentor? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I had kind of a, um, you know, one of the things people always ask me about is, um, you know, how do I feel about being, you know, recognized as one of the top women in PR and how did I get to that place? And, you know, my first answer is I probably got to that place because I never really thought about myself as being a woman in PR. I just ran a PR business. And I think I just, uh, you know, was recognized as a woman mainly on my just my general accomplishments, not that I was actually a woman. And I, for the longest time, did not really raise my hand or sort of um, jump in wholeheartedly to um, equality initiatives or women in business or women in tech initiatives. It happened, I had an aha moment in an event where I realized that most of the women in the audience were the age of my daughters and how they were looking for mentors and role models and, you know, really um, I I looked at, you know, if we're going to really make change, we have to help the next generation. And I've been incredibly involved. Um, I I was involved before that, but I was really more not wholeheartedly. And now I'm 100% in, I not only mentor young women, I mentor other agency leaders, most of which are women. Um, We have a pretty night, tight-knit community here in Silicon Valley where we get together on a regular basis with our competitors and just kind of talk about um, the market and so forth. And many of them look to me because I've been doing this so long um, to kind of help, um, you know, give them some guidance on what the next phase of their growth is and what they should be thinking about. And, um, again, many of those principles are, are women. And um, so that's one of the things I actually really just love about my my job is um, working with younger people, and they're so incredibly smart and 
Um, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people that I actually love the millennials. I'm, I'm not the ones that uh, oftentimes you'll hear people talk about millennials and roll their eyes. I, I, am, I feel incredibly inspired and um, feel a, a, a real passion for the young people that are entering the, the workforce or have been in the last 10 years. So what, what do you see to be the difference in, in the attitudes of millennials as, as compared to, let's say, the same time period when you were their age? Um, I think it I goes kind of back to some of the things that we've done here as an agency is they don't want to be put in a box. They, um, you know, their pace of growth and um, wanting to learn new things and moving through their career and trying different things um, is at a pace that, you know, the business world has not seen before. And um, I think people look at that as, oh, they don't want to pay their dues and they're impatient. And I actually look at that is that they are, you know, they're incredibly curious people. They, they are, they don't want to sort of sit and coast. They're ready to be challenged and do different things. Um, And at the end, I think they'll be, actually more successful down the road because they'll be much more well-rounded and experienced um, people in the workforce. Well, you, you know, you're an advocate of quality of life in the workplace, and I assume that also has to do with how millennials are, are, are dealt with and treated uh, in terms yeah. of, you know, their vision. So how did this yeah. evolve in your business? How do you distinguish, and in fact, how do you distinguish what you've done at Hotwire from other agencies in terms of yeah. quality of life? Yeah. So it's interesting, you know, a lot of people want me to call, comment on work-life balance, and I actually don't like that term because it's it's false. <laughs> there is never balance. I, I prefer work-life integration, and what I mean by that is there are times in your life where work takes precedence, and there's times in your life where your small kids or your education or something else takes precedence, and creating a work environment that allows you to exceed at both um, I think is really the key to our success. Flexibility has always been the number one uh, benefit that uh, our clients or our, excuse me, our employees recognize as something that they like. So we survey them every year on benefits and so forth. And flexibility is the, the number one thing. So we've, we've always been more concerned about um, the results and how the work that is being done rather than how it's being done or where it's being done. So, you know, now it's much more common. People think, um, you know, work from home Fridays is a big deal. Uh, we have a policy we call thoughtful working. And basically, we, we hire adults, we give them a, um, autonomy, but make them incredibly accountable to how they deliver results for their clients and their teams. And they can work wherever they do their work best. And sometimes that means you're working on clients, sometimes you're working in the office, and sometimes you're working from home. And um, that kind of flexibility gives people the chance to create environments and work, uh, you know, habits that help them deliver their their best work. So we don't see it as a work from home policy. It's really more um, giving people the power uh, to to create their own, their work, work environment. So Barbara, and it works incredibly well for us. Yeah, given the way it, the it, workplace it, has has gone and what you you know what you have put into place, um, what is left to be done? Where do you think the workplace will be, at least in in the public relations, marketing, com- communications world, 
let's say, you know, 10 years from now. I know technology will expand yeah. and what have you. What is, what, is, yeah. what is your prediction and your projection for where, how the workplace will evolve? Yeah, it's interesting because we do focus on this a bit. I mean, one of the things I think that differentiates us is that we are always looking ahead and sort of pride ourselves on being innovative. So always early adopters of technology, um, you know, new thinking, um, trying, we're not afraid to take risks and try new things. And, um, you know, one thing that we are investing in right now is AI and the impact that machine learning and um, AI might have in our profession, not necessarily to, um, you know, reduce the number of people we need to hire, but really to change once you bring someone into your organization and they're, you know, early on in their career and they start from the ground up, they're doing, you know, media lists and research and measurement and things that they need to learn. But isn't that fulfilling after you've done it for a few months? Um, they want to move on to more strategic and creative work. And we want more people like that. So if we can offload some of the more mundane work to technology and automation and freeing up, young people in the workforce that we're training to be the next strategic minds or creative minds. Uh, that's good for the business, but it's also more interesting work for them. So we have a couple of pilots that we're doing with some technology to automate some of the reporting and measurement and um, even content development. So um, that's, that's a big change and something that I think will change the, the workplace. Uh, it'll also, I think, change the type of people that we hire um, and the skill sets we hire for. Um, and so those are all things that we, you know, we, we spend a lot of time on um, and, and think about and make sure that we're well positioned. Well, in, to in what way does that have a bearing? Because obviously one of my questions would be, you know, how do you see public relations changing and evolving? You know, so uh, maybe you can uh, zero in on, on, on that a little bit. Yeah, I think the way, um, I think the main I don't know if I have anything new to say about how public relations is changing because I think a lot of this has been recognized. Um, I think the number one thing is earned, whether it's earned media, earned reputation, earned has finally gotten the recognition it deserves and a seat at the, the, the table with all disciplines. And that's why you're seeing more creative shops and digital shops and ad agencies hiring PR specialists or earned media specialists. I think the influence models and social media has a lot to do with that. Um, so th those skills were, will still be uh, incredibly important. But for the most part, clients don't care if you're a PR firm or an ad firm or a digital shop or creative or whatever. They want you to solve their problem. So I think we're PR agencies or comms agencies, integrated communications agencies, um, will change is the opportunity they're being given to solve bigger problems. So when we engage with clients, we're not looking at what their comms problems are. We're looking at what is the, what is the business challenge. And that requires you to have more senior people, more strategic people at the table early on with clients. Um, because if you're really, rather than coming in and trying to solve a communications problem or deliver up some coverage, that's a very tactical thing. But if you're trying to help them solve a problem, and for example, people often ask us, what are typical clients? Why do clients come to Hotwire? And we, we look at this quite often, and this has pretty much been consistent for me and my work uh, with tech companies over the years, is 
they tend to come, the, come to us when there is a moment of transition or transformation. And that could be everything from launching initially. So we still work with startups and very important launches. Um, IPOs, we do a lot of work around taking companies public. Uh, companies who've been acquired or companies who are acquiring new products and capabilities or companies needing to reposition or under competitive pressure in the marketplace. Those are companies that tend to then see the value of what we do um, as directly impacting their business. So when, when did, uh, let's say, your firm and you and, and PR cross that line? In other words, uh, is it the chicken or the egg? Did the clients come to you and say, you know, we have newer problems that perhaps, you know, you have not been involved with before, but we want your help anyway? Or was it because you were able to go to clients and say, you know, we solve more than more problems than just getting you into the media? Yeah, I would actually say it has definitely been both. And, and, and the difference is when you have a trusted partnership with a client, um, so I'll give you a great example. Facebook has become a quite a large client of ours. And it started out, uh, we got into Facebook because of a client that had worked with us two other times before. And he brought us in to Facebook to not do media relations. We're doing something completely different. And that's because we had a trusted relationship with him. We had helped him sell a business, make a lot of money. We helped him turn around a business. So he knew that we were, um, we knew how to focus on the business problems at hand um, and, and bring strategic communications to bear on helping solve those problems. And We've now been four, four or five years in with Facebook, and it's one of our, our largest clients. And so I think that's, a, that's one example of once you've built a trusted relationship with someone and have that history of working with them over and over again, um, they don't put you in a box. They just know that you're someone who can help. Then the other one I'd say is there are clients who have um, maybe had a more traditional view of PR and come to us with we want coverage and media relations. And we very early on in, in the vetting process about whether or not this would be a good fit for us is we ask a lot of questions that most agencies don't ask. And it's funny, they, people react different ways, like, why are you asking us this question? That's not a PR question. It's a business question. Well, if we're going to develop PR programs that are going to solve business problems, we need to sort of understand at that level. And those, in those situations, we are usually probably educating clients about what else they should be thinking of or other skills and services they can bring to bear on some of these challenges beyond um, media relations. So given, given all this, where, where do you think, where are you taking Hotwire? Where, where do you want it to be in the next five years? Uh, yeah. yeah, we are actually just about to, we take a three-year planning um, process and we just are wrapping up our third year and putting together uh, our next three-year plan. And uh, so this is very uh, top of mind for me about where we're taking the agency. We've been on a, a path to build more strategic and creative services within the organization. And um, it means we're hiring different types of people, um, having more senior people um, with very specific skill sets around strategy and creative strategy and creative development. Um, working directly with our clients. Um, I think if you actually look at what one of the challenges that a lot of the bigger agencies have had 
when they've brought in this talent is they can't scale it across their organization. So they end up um, using it primarily for new business, which is great because it means that they're developing really great strategic, creative new, new business um, proposals and plans, but then they can't staff their teams with that skill set on an ongoing basis. Um, and that's where, you know, clients tend to get unhappy and feel like they're a, a small fish in a big pond. Um, our our mid-level positioning is something where, or mid-sized positioning is something that we're very um, aggressive about because we have enough uh, breadth and depth that we can bring in specialized skill sets. We've got a great global footprint. Um, and the the roster of clients we work with globally is second to none. Um, but saying that, in each market, we have very much a local approach and a bespoke approach with our clients. So they feel like they're getting, you know, more of a boutique touch, um, but with the backing of a, a larger um, agency with broader skills and, and geographic reach. And that has, I think that we're not the only one that's in that position. I think if you look at agency growth numbers over the last couple of years, the big guys are flat, um, and having a difficult time growing, whereas mid-sized agencies are growing quite quite uh, aggressively. And, you know, we're in double-digit growth for, you know, a couple of years in a row now. And I think that mid-sized positioning has a lot to do with it. So, Barbara, as CEO, obviously, you know, you wear a lot of hats within your organization, um, and you're responsible for so, so many things. Um, how do you – how do you – uh, divide your time. What do you focus mm-hmm. on? Um, what do you spend your most time doing? You know, I'm, you know, I'm sure you probably have to do some, you know, client, you know, counseling and handholding. And yep. Obviously, mm-hmm. uh, you're dealing with employee issues and uh, uh, and structure of your organization and profitability and all that stuff as typical CEOs do. But um, you know, CEOs tend to focus on certain major areas that they feel yep. they can contribute the most. Tell us about you, your your contributions and what you do. Yeah, I guess I have a bit of a selfish approach to that in that I, uh, I've i built a really, really great team, experts in what they do, and the best thing I can do is stay out of their way, you know, help support them, give them the resources and the inspiration um, to try new things and to meet high expectations. But really, I try to stay out of their way. Um, so I, that leaves me to be able to focus on things that I really love doing. And you, you use the term, I, I suppose you have to work on client work. And for me, it's I want to work on client work. I've never wanted to stay away from, you know, practicing the craft. And so, um, you know, I can't do it a ton, but I absolutely do it uh, on a regular basis. I was just yesterday at an offsite with one of our largest clients and you know I, I know their business I know their challenges and so I can come in and help at certain times um, so I, I definitely do that another area I uh, focus on is I focus on a little bit longer term things because I have strong people in every country um, running the business by the way I think we are probably the only agency that have women country uh, leading every country in our business which I'm really proud of um, they uh, I, I focus on things that are a little bit longer term, like uh, what is the structure we're going to need to build a more consultative organization that can support very senior people working directly with clients? What technology should we be adopting 
what are the new technology areas that we need to be smart about, things like that. Um, those are things that keep me interested, are important to the business. And, and of course, I spend a lot of time with my staff. I, I travel quite a bit. Um, I mentioned, you mentioned I'm in, we're in 12 countries, so I'm on the plane qu- quite a bit. And part of my philosophy and sort of the thing that, you know, makes me love my job is I don't just meet and spend time with senior people. I spend time with all levels of the organization. And uh, I, I like that. Our, my staff, you know, seems to like that. And so I do spend a lot of time with, with the people. Well, you're now, you know, among, you know, the, the top public relations uh, agencies in the world um, in a variety of ways. You know, you've got 300 employees in, in many, many countries. Um, what's the big difference between heading a larger organization as opposed to, let's say, when Eastwick was getting going mm-hmm. and, you know, and uh, uh, reaching its, its targets? What's the difference mm-hmm. between the way you manage each? Uh, gosh, you know, scale does provide some opportunities and challenges. Um, and so I, you know, I try to balance both of those. I mean, for one thing, I, I try to not make the mistakes that bigger agencies have made before us. So I do try to, um, you know, make sure that we're blazing our own path and own trail. We've had advisors in the business through, you know, our board of directors and so forth who, who've worked at other large agencies and, um, we'll say things like, you know, this is what they did at this agency at this agency. And I have to remind them, I don't want to be like those agencies. I really want to be different. Um, and so I think uh, part of building a larger organization is not losing your innovation edge and not assuming that you have to follow the path of, of everybody else. Um, I'd also say uh I knew every single person's name in uh, in Hotwire at one point, and now we're too large. And for me, that's really like I want to be able to greet people by their name. It sounds silly, but I do. I like to greet people by their their first names. And I we we're just growing so fast. That's that's beyond me now. Um, but I would also say, you know, uh, the not losing your specialty and your you know, oftentimes when um, companies are in growth mode and getting larger, there's a bit of a land grab that goes on. And, and um, we've really sort of refrained from doing that by knowing what we're really good at. And if there's tech or innovation at the core of your value proposition, we, we're your guys. We know, we know how to comp, you know, develop strategies and take complex topics and communicate them in compelling ways that can drive markets and companies forward. Barbara, without naming names, of course, but you know, you you refer to you didn't, that you know that big agency, big agencies often will make mistakes um, as they grow. But you know, uh, I guess on the plus side of that is the fact that they have grown to be a big agency. But on, yes. on the other hand, you know, they I guess they do make mistakes. What do you think the common mistakes are of big agencies? Um, Again, without gosh. naming names, obviously. Yeah, let me tell. I'll tell you. Well, there's one that's near and dear to my heart, so I'll tell you one thing that happened. I mean, 
Eastwick was had been sought after as an acquisition target for many years, and Art, you know that because we've had conversations in the past. Yes, we did. And yes, we did. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, because we were well known and tech specialists in Sil- Silicon Valley, uh, all the big networks, all the big holding companies, at some one time or another, has come knocking on our door, and. Um, I had purposely built the agency to sort of be anti the big network um, holding company agency because I felt like um, it w- the focus was more on scale than quality of service and providing bespoke you know experiences for for clients and so forth, and because technology is complicated and you need a different skill set and staff to do PR for the VMwares and the HPs of the world than you do the potato board or, you know, Lego or, you know, some easy to understand product. And I think a lot of the big agencies came into Silicon Valley and there's lots and lots of history here of them not being successful. Um, And I think the reason why, and this gets back to my long-winded way of answering what you think they've done wrong is they they would buy agencies like Eastwick and many others for their innovation and their position in the marketplace. And then they would absorb the brand and, you know, soften all the corners uh, to sort of change that, what made that agency great into being just, you know, more, more people, more cogs in a wheel. And they would leave, lose, you know, top talent over that and um, lose their competitive edge. So, one of the reasons why we held out for 25 years not to be acquired was because most people who came calling were the big agencies. And I, I just felt a values misalignment um, with, with those folks. Lots of respect because they're huge. And, you know, agencies like Edelman especially, to think about what they've done, um, you know, as an independent agency and lots and lots of respect. But I think at some point scale works against you in this business and, um and, you know, I think there's just – and we're seeing them have those challenges today. Very interesting, very interesting. Um, i got a few more questions to ask you, Barbara. You've been terrific so far and, and very candid, and I know our listeners uh, appreciate that very much. Uh, they're learning a lot from this discussion, as I am too. And so my uh, final few questions have to do with you, you, Barbara Bates. Um, and Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> Maybe you haven't been asked some of these questions uh, recently, but I will ask them today. Um, who are your heroes? Oh, gosh. Um, so I have two categories of heroes that I think about a lot. One is Olympic athletes. Um, I just, the, the sh- What it takes to become an Olympic athlete is so mind-boggling to me the single focus, the training, the years and years of sacrifice and all of that. I just have so much respect for Olympic athletes um, that I read a lot about them. I, I obsessively watch the Olympics, and many of those people have been their heroes. I'm very happy to say that one of my daughter's closest friends will be in the Olympics oh. in Tokyo this year playing softball, and I've been following her since she was six years old. And so just to I'm still trying to make my way there. It's just incredibly hard to get tickets. But um I just have a, I, I just know what it takes and it's just it's so really inspiring to me. 
The other group of people that inspire me are people who come from disadvantaged backgrounds or from situations that don't prepare them well for um, the working world, the, the competitive world we live in, and yet somehow there's something in their DNA that causes them to break beyond those barriers and become successful and uh, a role model and achieve things that they never thought that they could achieve. And we have some of those people within the walls of Hotwire, and I've worked with a number of those people over the years. And um, I'll give you one example. Um, our uh, creative strategy, uh, head of creative strategy here in the U.S., um, Mario is a very long time, eight-year employee here. Uh, I'd hired him as an intern at um, at Eastwick, first one in his family to go to college, um, has become an industry thought leader, has been key part of our growth, has been incredibly successful. And he seeks out, when he when you don't have that inspiration, or not even inspiration, or experience or role models to look look at or learn from within your own family or ecosystem, he's just done a really good job of um, finding that elsewhere. So he was one of the first, we called him the pioneers. We had five employees at Eastwick that moved to New York City to open up our New York office, you know, eight years ago. And uh, he was one of those individuals that, that did that. And this was someone who, you know, barely had lived outside of their hometown. So people like that really inspire me because there's something in them that is different, that, that allows them to, to be braver and succeed in ways that, you know, many people don't even try to shoot for. Gosh, it's nice to have the heroes in your own organization, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So where do you see Barbara Bates in the years ahead? Uh, you know, I think ultimately, uh, so it's funny because my, my, I have two adult daughters and they're actually both in this profession. Uh, so they've grown up with, uh, you know, they know what my life has been like and my work life has been like because they, they're, they're, you know, working in PR agencies today, but they have always said to me, you know, you, you won't ever be able to retire because you don't have any hobbies because I, you know, like, uh, being in the thick of it. Um, you know, ultimately I could see doing board work. That's something that I'm doing a little bit more of now and, um, feel like I could be, um, contribute to, to companies in terms of my experience as an entrepreneur, my experience of growing companies and so forth. So that's something I'm looking forward to, but I feel like helping us continue to be more successful. This is going to be a fantastic year for us again. And, um, we've got lots of stuff we're wanting to do. So, um, how do you want to be remembered, Barbara? Oh, gosh, that's a heavy one. Um, yes, it is. I saved the best one for last, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, I think I do want to be remembered as sort of an authentic person who, while being challenging sometimes, always had people's best interest at heart. And that I had a history and a legacy of really caring about the people, whether it's my clients, my employees, my family, friends. Um, I'm, I'm someone who really values relationships, and I'm hope I'm known for that. 
Well, Barbara, all I can say, this has been a terrific conversation. I've learned a lot more about you and, and, and truly understand why you have succeeded as you have and have built one of the great PR organizations in the world uh, and will continue to do so. So I thank you so much on behalf of our listeners of PR Masters podcast series for being our guest today. Thank you, Art. I really appreciate it. It was great to talk to you. So on behalf of our listeners, I thank Barbara for joining us, and I thank you all for joining us today and, uh, and listening to Barbara's views and her view of the world of public relations and technology and uh, how she manages her business and how Hotwire has grown. I thank you all for tuning in to another of the Stevens Group PR Masters podcast series. So until next time, I am Art Stevens wishing you all the very best.